This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Without those two words in verse 14 to him, then without Christ, church becomes just a social club. And without Christ, church becomes just a place to meet friends, to listen to entertaining music, to listen to a thought-provoking message. But without those two words in verse 14, to him, church has lost its purpose. Church being a place like the temple where the helpless find help. And church loses its purpose when church is just a place where spiritually blind people come, but they don't come to him. And it has to, church has got to be a place where spiritually blind people receive sight so they can see who Jesus Christ really is and how much they need Jesus Christ. Without those two words to him, church loses its purpose of being a place where the spiritually lame are healed so that they can walk with God in a steady life of Bible reading, prayer, obeying God, so that they can run with God and see the opportunities in front of them to witness, to bring souls to Christ, go for it. But when you find yourself, and you've all been there, in a church that is missing Christ, you feel like saying to the pastor what Mary said at the empty tomb of Christ in John 2015, John 2015, you feel like walking up to the pastor and saying, sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him and I'll, I'll take him away. And when you find yourself in a church listening to a message that's not centered on Jesus Christ, you feel like saying to the person next to you, John 20, verse 13, John 20, verse 13, you know what? They've taken away my Lord and I know not where they've laid him. Not in this message. And the lame and the blind, in verse 14, came to the temple to go to Jesus, and the temple without Jesus just got no help for them. But verse 14 does have those two words. The lame and the blind came to him in the temple and he healed them. The only reason the lame and the blind came to the temple so that they could come to Jesus Christ. And the same is true for a church. We come spiritually blind and lame to Jesus Christ in the church to be healed. 
And the only reason we come to church is so we can come to Jesus Christ. And the same is true for the Bible. We come spiritually blind and lame to Jesus Christ in the Bible to be healed. The only reason we come to the Bible is so we can come to Jesus Christ. And the blind and the blind were thrilled when Christ healed them. The blind said, I can see, I can see. And what was the first sight that they saw when they could see? It was Jesus Christ. It was the one who just healed them. Fanny Crosby was blind from infancy, practically from birth. She never knew sight, she, could, she never saw. But she looked forward to having that experience of seeing for the first time. She thought about it, think about it. A blind person from birth, practically speaking, never saw, dreaming of the day when she'll be able to see for the first time. And she thought about that day after she died when she would look forward to seeing, and she looked forward to seeing Jesus Christ as her first sight, like those people in the temple. And she expressed the thrill of it all, of what it would be like when she saw Christ in the hymn, my savior, first of all. And she wrote these words, when my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see. I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side. His smile will be the first to welcome me. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face and the luster of his kindly beaming eye. How my full heart will praise him for the mercy, love, and grace that prepare for me a mansion in the sky. I shall know him. I shall know him. I am redeemed by his side. I shall stand. I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. That was her dream. That's what she looked forward to. Seeing, well, her savior, first of all. The lame, the lame dream of no longer struggling to put one foot in front of the other. But the lame dream of Isaiah 35, five, Isaiah 35, five, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dung shall stumb, shall sing. The lame, so happy to no longer have the, just the will to walk and the will to run, but be stopped by their feet that, will not, that refuses now to move at their command. And now in the temple, in verse 14, the lame are saying, look at me, look at me. I'm jumping like a deer. I'm no longer lame. I can walk, I can run, I can jump. And this was such a happy day in the temple. It's hard for us to imagine the joy in the temple for all the blind and the lame. And this was, this was a great day. But... It was not a happy day for some others. And verse 15 says, verse 15, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. They weren't just displeased, their displeasure hurt them. They were sore displeased. And because of the unbelief of the chief priests and the scribes, he left the temple and he left the city. We can imagine the healed and the children saying, you're leaving? Where are you going? Well, we don't want you to leave. We can imagine 
that not all of the blind and the lame around had come to the temple and had been healed. We can imagine how when the word spread that he had been in the temple and he healed the blind and the lame, that there were other blind and lame who, who came to the temple only to be disappointed to hear, like, well, he left. He was here, but he left. You just missed him. And we can imagine that this whole scene of him leaving in verse 17 could be summarized with Matthew 13, 57. Matthew 13, 57, they were offended at him. But Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor, save in his own country, in his own house. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. It's though we could just imagine that verse, Matthew 13, 58, Matthew 13, 58, appearing right under verse 17. So it might as well read like this, or right above it, rather, right above it. Matthew 13, 58, Matthew 13, 58. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief, Matthew 21, 17. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany and he lodged there. What a tragedy his leaving was. The chief priests and the chief scribes, what a tragedy they did. What they did was Psalm 78, 40. Psalm 78, 40. How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel with their unbelief. They limited Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel. He wanted to heal more. He wanted more blind to see. He wanted more lame to work. But from their unbelief, they limited him as the Holy One of Israel. That's a warning for us because we can also limit Jesus Christ as the Holy One of Israel by our unbelief. Picture what it'd be like if one of the Israelites at the Red Sea, at the time when Moses was about to lift up his hand with the rod to part the Red Sea so that all could cross in safety to the other side, and just at the moment when Moses is about to lift up his hand over the Red Sea, just as that moment, there was a man who said, no, Moses, I don't believe that you're holding your rod out is gonna part the Red Sea, and I'm not gonna let you hold your rod out. I'm gonna hold your hand down. So you can't go do that. That's a picture of unbelief. Unbelief takes the hand of God and holds it down so that great and mighty works can't be done. Unbelief is a very serious problem. It limits God. We can see how serious unbelief is when we read in verse 17, verse 17, he left, he left them and went out of the city. So now he's left the temple, he's left Jerusalem, and we're told in verse 16, he left them, went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Bethany is more or less about two miles, about two miles from Jerusalem, it's not very far. And we're now at the point where he has about six days more to live on earth. He's gonna be killed in six days. He's gonna be murdered in six days in Jerusalem. And he's gonna to continue to teach every day for six days. He's only got six days left. He will not spend one night in Jerusalem, not one night. This is where he works, this is where he comes, this is where he teaches, but he will not spend one night 
in Jerusalem. Every night he will leave Jerusalem and he'll spend the night someplace outside of Jerusalem. And in the morning, he's gonna return to Jerusalem. Every morning, he's gonna return. But at night, he's just not welcome there, and he knows it, and he leaves. He leaves Jerusalem. He may spend the night on the Mount of Olives. He may spend the night, as we see here, in Bethany, but he will not spend one night in Jerusalem. Bethany was where a very special home was, that Jesus Christ loved to visit. He loved to spend time in it. That was the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. That was a happy home for him. He loved that home. A happy home is a home where where each person in the household could basically be looked at and said, he's for the other people in the home. Each person is for the other person in the home. That's a happy home. A happy home is where sisters are for their sisters and their brothers and their parents. A happy home is where brothers are for their sisters and their brothers. That's a happy home. It's just a home where everybody is for the other person. And you feel it because you don't feel tension. A happy home is a forgiving home. Of course there's going to be offenses between each other. Jesus said it's impossible but that offenses would come. But a happy home is a home where you don't feel that tension because, because a happy home is where you hear a lot of time, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's common. I'm sorry in a happy home where relationships are restored. A happy home is a home when you walk in the door, you don't feel the tension that's, boy, I feel the some people are at odds with each other in this place. It feels like a cold war about to erupt. That's not a happy home. A happy home is, is, there's none of that. A happy home is a home that does not focus on itself. It's not inward, but it's caring about each other and caring about others, which means that a happy home is a hospitable home. Happy home's a home where there's an open door. There's an open door. A happy home's a home where, in a sense, there's always a place set for the stranger, for the person, whoever it might be, to come in. A home that's open for others, a home where others feel it's okay just to come over. And a happy home is a home where those who do come over don't feel like they gotta leave, but they wanna stay. They don't wanna leave. A happy home is a home where there are guests over for dinner and where the guests don't feel like they're intruding, but they really feel welcomed. That's a happy home. And when people in the home ask them how they are, they really want to know, and they're interested, and they're focused on it. A happy home is a home where dinner time is special, almost sacred in that home. All the families eating together. The dinner time is so important that all the distractions are just turned off. Cell phones are turned off. They're all put on mute. Dinner time is so special that phone calls and any other distraction, they're just counted as not as important as being together and eating together at dinner time. And in happy home, at the dinner table, those are meaningful conversations because everyone is listening and they're taking an interest in what whoever's talking is whatever they're saying. And if there's a guest at the dinner table, everybody wants to know more about that guest and that guest feels so relaxed. Happy home is a home where the Bible is central in the home. Maybe there's a portion that's read in a family devotion, maybe there's a little Bible promise box on the dinner table and somebody pulls a card and reads it. But the Bible is central, the Bible is honored. 
Happy home is a home where prayer is really looked at as a valued exercise. It's so common. It's that prayer, when you're in a happy home, prayer doesn't feel awkward and forced and so memorized. Prayer is asked for and prayer is made and together, that's a happy home. A happy home is a home where there's just peace and there's quiet. It's a refuge. It's a place to run to from the world. The TV is not blaring in the background of a happy home, telling us how the Russians are invading Ukraine and how much blood there is on the ground. That's not a happy home. The home is a, a peaceful place. And, and that was the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And that was the home that Jesus resorted to in verse 17 when he left Jerusalem. I used to travel to London four times a year. I used to stay at a hotel in Regent's Park and uh, I would fly over from the States and, and arrive at Heathrow Airport. And before I checked into the hotel from the airport, when I landed, I'd turn on my phone and I would call a brother and a sister, Phil and June Caldwell, who lived over in Brixton, not a very nice area of London at all. But anyway, that's where they lived, more or less dilapidated place, but didn't matter. And they never knew when I was coming to London. And, and I'd just call them from the airport. I wasn't very nice, but that's what I did. And when I arrived, and it would take me about three hours to get my way from Heathrow over to their airport with a tube and a train and a taxi. And I finally made it there. Humble home, rundown area, but a happy home. And I love that home. They're both gone on to be with the Lord now. I kind of miss it. But that brother and sister team were missionaries to the Jewish people. We knew them here. And June was amazing. She always would whip up some really good chicken dinner and bring it out and she had a teapot and the teapot was covered in a little jacket that she called the cozy. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and we talked and we shared and we prayed and Phil would always share some scripture he was thinking about, which maybe wasn't a profound thought, but it was to him. I've been thinking, brother, how the Lord says he's in us. And he would just, that would be the subject. For example, been thinking about it all day. And I'd stay there at probably about 11 p.m. And, and then I would head off from my hotel. I'd check in the hotel around one in the morning. And those visits were memorable. I remember them even now. They were so refreshing. They were so memorable. They didn't have much. Phil, they were sending out literature to Jewish people in Russia and Europe and everywhere. And the place was just packed with literature. There wasn't even room for Phil to have a bed. He built, he built a wooden shelves and he slept on one of the shelves. <laughs> that was his bed. <laughs> but there was something about that place that I loved to go there. And if I had two invitations, one to go to Phil in June and the other to go to Buckingham Palace, no question where I'd go. I'd turn down the queen to go to Phil and June's happy home. And when I think of the Lord Jesus leaving Jerusalem and retiring to a home, I understand why he wanted to go to the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus and Bethany. And I can just picture something like that home, a Lazarus in the, as a happy home, just like the hymn says, the hymn says, happy the home when God is there and love fills every breast where one their wish and one their prayer and won their heavenly rest. Happy the home where Jesus' name is sweet to every ear, where children early speak his fame and parents hold him dear. 
Happy the home where prayer is heard and praise is wont to rise, where parents love the sacred word in all its wisdom prize. Lord, let us in our homes agree this blessed peace to gain. Unite our hearts in love to thee and love to all will reign. And when it says in verse 17, he lodged there, we can picture how Jesus Christ really relaxed. He lodged, he relaxed, his guard was down. He no longer was challenged with questions in that home of who gave him the authority to do the things he did. He no longer was told to silence the children who were praising him. He no longer had to face the problem of the desecration of the temple. Now he's in the refuge of a happy home where he could really, verse 17, lodge there. May our homes be like that. Now, the day before all this, the day when he got to this happy home was really an exhausting day. Can't imagine how exhausting this was. Triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem. While he's there, he's crying. His heart is broken. He's crying on the donkey as he looks at the city and says, boy, if you only knew, but you don't know. He goes in there. There's palm branches. There's singing. There's clothes being put down in the road. He comes in the temple. He makes the small whips. He cleanses the temple, drives out the money changers, the animal merchants, overturns the tables, overturns the chairs. Then all the healing starts of the blind and the lame. And then he has to deal with the challenges of the high priests and the scribes. And sadly, he has to leave. That's exhausting. All happened in one day. That was pretty exhausting. No wonder he was relieved to relax in the happy home of Lazarus and his sisters. And you would have thought that maybe the Lord, with such an exhausting day, would maybe just uh, just grab a little extra sleep the next day, you know, catch up on a little rest. But that's not what happened. Because in verse 18, verse 18, it says, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, the Greek word for morning there is pro, as in before, ia, which literally means in the first, pro, in the first. In other words, at the first light of the day, he is up and gone and out. It's so early at the break of day that he's coming into the city of Jerusalem. It shows, this shows the essential character of Christ because there was a very almost palpable passion in Christ. He was so anxious to return to the people in the city that it shows that if there's a person that moves one inch toward Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ moved one million miles to reach that person. And we get this feeling as we read this, we really get the picture that here that wild bulls couldn't keep Christ away from those that he was out to help. And those wild bulls were called the chief priests and scribes. And it, so it didn't matter. If it was chief priests and scribes, it was his own fatigue and his need for sleep and rest would not keep him away from the people that he was sent to help. And in verse 18, it's so surprising just to read the words in verse 18, he returned into the city. He returned to the city. I mean, what? You're returning to that city? The city that has just the day you have disrupted? by overturning all the tables and the chairs and driving out all the, the profiteers and angering the chief priests and the scribes, they can kill you. You're going back the next day to that city? It's so dangerous. Why are you going back? Why would you do that? Well, that's what it says in verse 18. He returned to the city. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.